Hi, my name is Sam Williams, and welcome to episode number 32 of my 60 Music Podcast, Millennial Throwback Machine. So first, I'd like to welcome all of you to episode number 32 of my 60 Music Podcast, The Millennial Throwback Machine. I am Sam Williams, and for those of you who are just now discovering this podcast, either on the Apple Podcast app, or in Stitcher, or in iHeartRadio, and you're wondering, so what the heck is this? Well, I'm going to give you a brief description of what the show is all about. Okay, so I am Sam Williams, and I'm a 23-year-old songwriter slash producer, but I'm also a huge 60 Music fan slash expert slash nerd. And each week with this podcast, I take one song by one artist from the 60s, and first talk about my opinion on the song and why I think it's so good or why I think it's, think it sucks and do, and do my own personal analysis on the arrangement of the song which will include the chords, melody, and lyrics and then I dig deep into the history behind the song in that part of the show I talk about who wrote the song, who produced it who are the studio musicians on the track what studio the song was recorded at all the behind the scenes details on each and every song I talk about within each episode of this podcast is going to be on the second part of the show. Now, before we move on with this week's episode of the podcast, um, continuing on with the theme of last week's episode, this week's song and artist is going to be on something you probably don't know. Um, this song was, in fact, a one-hit wonder. This is the only hit song this group ever had. And for those artists like that, it's most of them didn't carry over to my generation, um, and I must confess, I didn't hear the song grow up, growing up listening to oldies radio, but I did hear it when I, when I made the transition from traditional FM radio to satellite radio on the 60s channel I listened to. So, um, and also, um, I want to quick, also quickly say that, um, the, what, the main reason why as to why this music I talk about on this podcast is so completely different from what you hear on top 40 radio nowadays is that back then people used tape to record music. I've talked about this in Ignosium at my show, but the fact of the matter is people don't really do that anymore. I mean, everything these days is recorded to digital. So, I mean, the, the technology that they had back then is something that we don't really have anymore today. I mean, most artists nowadays record stuff to a computer and they bounce it to a computer, you know, so it just doesn't have the analog warmth that a lot of these records have today. And plus... A lot of what you hear in mainstream pop music, I mean, it's mostly like synthesizers and drum machines. It's all, it's mostly electronic, but back then there really wasn't any of that. I mean, there were synthesizers, but everything else was like real instruments. And I feel like a lot of songs in today's um, mainstream pop climate are lacking like real instruments. I mean, they might have a couple, but um, so that's the main difference between songs from this era and the songs on mainstream pop music radio today i mean i will try to draw comparisons of what people are doing today versus the music from back then but it's not going to be that easy because like i said before a lot of the songs i talk about on the show are so completely different than what you hear on the radio today but there are some artists making songs that you know have that vintage retro 60s sound and i'm one of them actually and uh, I actually might include some of my songs in my podcast to show you that, you know, I'm, you know, I'm really trying to recreate the sound of 
uh, you know, this era of the 60s and with today's Sonics, recording Sonics at least. And uh, I'm sure other people are doing that too as well. And I'll try to, um, you know, create as many examples as those artists, you know, on the show as I can. But this show is more about the history and more about, you know, the way things were back then and these artists and songs from back then. But I will try to draw comparisons of some artists today that are really trying to recreate that sound like me and some other people as well. But moving on, let's get started in this week's song, shall we? Okay, so the song I'm going to be doing for this week for my podcast is a song that has one of the most awesome arrangements, and it's just an absolutely incredible song from start to finish. It's a song that will hook you in within the first couple seconds, and when I first heard it, my mind was completely blown, and I think yours will be too, as to how absolutely good it is. Um, This song came out in December 1965. It's by an artist named Bob Cuban in Men. It's none other than The Cheater. This record is absolutely amazing. And this is, again, one of the songs that needs to be filed under P for absolutely perfect. I mean, it just doesn't get any better than this song from start to finish. It's absolutely just fucking great. And I'm going to, in you know, this episode of this podcast, I'm going to go into exactly what makes this song so fucking good. First, we have to talk about the music because this is one of those songs that will absolutely hook you in within the first couple seconds of listening to it. And it's one of those songs that you will never get bored with listening to it. It's like watching a movie you really like. The characters in the story hook you in within the first couple minutes of the movie. And then the plot is then established. But then things quickly change so that way you don't get bored with watching it. It's no different than with the song. The That absolutely fantastic drum fill opener is what kicks the song in high gear. Plus that amazing horn section in the beginning. But another thing I really love about this song is the chord progression. I like the last song I talked about on the show, which, by the way, was just a four-chord song. Um, this song has way more than just four chords. In fact, I'm pretty sure there is at least four chords in the intro, and in the verses, there's at least six chords. But one really interesting thing about the song harmonically is that the chords change rather quickly, and there are some parts of the song where there are a lot of chords being crammed in just a one-bar phrase, such as in the verses and in the choruses. Now, this makes the song really, really difficult to play on guitar or piano, because when you have chords change so quickly in a song and there's not enough space left you know, with each measure for the chord to sort of ring out, that makes a song very difficult to play. I have a couple songs like that, but songs of that nature are very difficult to play because, you know, the changes happen so quickly and you really have to keep up with them in order to play the song really, really well. And the rhythm that goes with those those chords is very interesting because there are two chords fit into one measure and another two chords fit into the next measure at the end of the chorus and in the intro and that classic four chord buildup in the pre-chorus. I love how in the bridge, 
they're, they go into a completely different chord progression and how they go into that diminished chord to segue into that. But one thing I also really like about the song is the key changes. Now, what makes the key changes cool in this song is that they are there to keep the listeners interested and on their toes and not bored. Um, because without them, I mean, let's be honest, they, you probably wouldn't want to hear the song, the whole thing, because the key changes are really what makes a song interesting and what captures listeners' attention and what makes them want to be like, oh, shit, I was not expecting that. And plus, I really do think that the two key changes in the last pr- verse, pre-chorus, and chorus and the final chorus are exactly what the song needed, because in my opinion, they just elevate the song to a whole new level and make it sound really, really good. And besides, the horns, uh, the drums on the song are just incredible. I mean, they start on top of all the, they stay on top of all the other instruments and they just make this track sound totally badass. Plus, I love the fills the drummer is playing in this song. I mean, this is also one of those tracks that whenever I hear it, I instantly want to turn it all the way up as loud as I possibly can and sing the chorus at the top of my lungs because this is, it's really one of the songs that has a totally solid structure and backbone that is just so easy to sing along to. And by the way, the drum fills on the song are just absolutely incredible. I mean, they almost sound like Motown drum fills, but... You know, the drummer does, a, does an excellent job of just, you know, staying on top of everyone else and also keeping everyone in time. That's just amazing. And uh, regarding the lead vocals in this song, um, I don't know about you, but to me, it sounds like they're, they use a different lead singer in the chorus. And to me, when I first heard this song, and the likelihood of this being true is unlikely because I'm 99.9% certain that the group that did the song consisted of all white members. And there were no black people in this group. But I'm sure you will have this thought as well if you were to listen to this song. But to me, it sounded like the lead vocalist in the chorus sounded like a black guy. Because it's obvious that in the chorus of the song, uh, that part is being sung with two singers, even though it's clear that one is definitely overpowering the other in terms of the harmonies at the especially, and all the way up until the end of the chorus. And... This applies to all the choruses in the song, including the ones in the modulation sections of this track. Another thing I really like about this song is the guitar. I love the little lick that he plays in the chorus after the lines, Look out for the cheater, make way for the foolhardy clown. And talk break for the cheater, too bad for the foolhardy clown. And how he does a really good job of keeping the rest of the band tight with his rhythm that he just chugs throughout the song. And one other really cool thing that I like about this song is the horns. Now, in this part of the podcast, I'm going to make a parallel to the very first episode I ever put out. Um, In that episode, I talk about a song that was released just a month after this track, a song called Time Will Let Me by The Outsiders. I said in that episode that was one of the first band pop songs to have horns, but this record might have been recorded just before time will let me and or it might have been recorded in the same month uh, that this song was released but regardless of which one came first the horns are really what carry the high energy in the song and elevate it to a whole other level and the horns are what makes this record sound really badass and this honestly could have been one of the very first pop records or at least pop band records to have horns and it might have predated time will let me i'll have to look that up 
But moving on, let's talk about what this song is about lyrically. Because this song is somewhat related to the last song I talked about on the podcast. With the concept of cheating being carried over from our last song to this song. But the big difference is that instead of it being about a guy that is worried that his girl might be cheating on him, this song is told from the perspective of a person warning other people about a good-for-nothing, slimy, snake-in-the-grass cheater who steals women who are already in a relationship with another man and lie and pretend like he didn't do that and then mistreat them. It's really very much a cautionary tale of somebody warning other people to stay away from him and be aware of his presence and give people a heads up about this person so that way they know what's going on with him. And in the bridge of the song, the singer reveals that the guy took his girl from him but is determined to get her back and he truly believes that this guy will hook up with a girl that is totally aware of him and his whereabouts and will tear him apart and leave him. And then in the chorus resolution comes with the sing when the singer says he'll hear people say above the people laughing at him that they'll feel some pity towards this person who used to build you up just to let you down. And I know what you're thinking. Sam, how in heck will I be able to relate to this song? Well, I'm going to explain to you exactly how you'll be able to relate to this song right now. You see, I don't know if you've ever been cheated on before, but I'm sure you have been in social situations where a friend of yours has tried to warn you about somebody in their social circle that has been up to no good and you should probably stay away from this person. And I really do hope that you aren't and never have been this person that your friend warns people about, but I'm sure this has happened to you once or twice before in your life because it happens all the time and it still happens to this day. And even though this song was written 50 years ago, a lot of that sort of talk still goes around in social circles in today's climate in 2018. Well, if it has, you'll definitely be, be able to relate to the song because this is that is really what the song is all about. It's all about a guy warning people about a potentially bad dude that steals other people's girlfriends away and treats them like dirt. And I really do hope that you never are this person but the real more of the story of this song is when a girl's in a relationship, don't try to date or seduce her. Otherwise, you'll wind up like the cheater in this song. The bad guy that everyone talks about in your social circle. Because trust me, when you start to do things of that nature, people rarely keep their mouth shuts about that. Especially amongst their friends or people that they trust. It will definitely travel very quickly and more than likely land you in some serious hot water. You might not ever go to jail for it because it's not illegal to steal somebody else's girlfriend, but I would highly recommend you don't do that and just leave well enough to alone to girls that are already happily taken and just go after the single ones. That way you won't end up like the cheater, the guy in the song. And you, and oh, by the way, this song has a very ironic but sad and real twist to it. And I will go into that into the second part of this podcast. But moving on, let's talk about the history behind this band, which is Bob Cubitt and the Inmen, because I would highly doubt that you are familiar with their music or their story. And uh, let's face it, I could say the same thing for many different artists of this era who were at the end of the day one hit wonders for my and acts it's funny because I actually did a one hit wonder for my podcast early on in the show. 
but I actually haven't done a true one-hit wonder in a long time. So let's talk again about exactly what a real one-hit wonder is and some of the circumstances that resulted of a group or a singer becoming a one-hit wonder. But first, I'm going to talk about the dictionary definition of a one-hit wonder and make it clear to you once for once and for all for those of you who are unsure of exactly what it means. A one-hit wonder is not somebody that only had one top 10 hit on the Billboard Hot 100 chart and had several two or three or more smaller hits that made the lower half of the top 40 chart on Billboard. It's also not somebody who had more than one hit song on the charts, but is generally remembered by the general public for just one song. A one-hit wonder is an artist or band that only had one song that made the top four on the Billboard Hot 100 charts, and that's it. If they had more than just one song in the Billboard Top 40 on the Hot 100 chart, they would automatically be disqualified as a one-hit wonder. I'm singling out the Billboard Hot 100 chart and not counting the various amounts of charts on Billboard had back then and today because if you look up what a one-hit wonder is on the internet, you'll find my exact definition. Now, there are a million reasons as to why an artist could wind up being a one-hit wonder. A lot of times it was because they simply got lucky and they were able to secure a record deal and release a song that was able to make to the charts, but then their subsequent follow-up singles failed to contain characteristics that defined a hit song within the context of the era it was released in. Please keep in mind, the definition of a hit song changes every single decade as people's taste in technology and music evolve over the years. What could have been a hit of 50 years ago more than likely could not be a hit if it were released today. But if there are some exceptions to that rule, especially when an older style of music gets a brief resurgence onto the pop charts. And as much as things change for them once they got their one hit song, since they were unable to score another hit, they unfortunately go back to doing the same thing they were doing before they had their one and only hit, and they wind up quitting the music business altogether. This also happens to artists who are not one-hit wonders as well, by the way. This is often the typical story of a one-hit wonder. They get signed, record an album, have a hit single, but were not able to produce a substantial follow-up hit, and then they fade into complete obscurity after that. And also, many of them also had exper- experienced financial issues, and this is a primary reason as to why many one-hit wonders simply fell apart. A really good example of this is in that movie, That Thing You Do. Now, if you haven't seen it, you should go watch it, because the whole movie is a, is the typical story of a one-hit wonder, specifically from the 60s. I would go back in there and watch that movie. Now, this group had a very much typical one-hit wonder story, but one thing that made this group stand out from all the other acts around this uh, time is the area that this group came out of. See, this song was not recorded in New York, L.A., Detroit, Nashville, Memphis, Chicago, Muscle Shoals, or any of the cities where a lot of the big hits were on the were on the charts at this time were being recorded in Rinnat. This band was actually originally from St. Louis, Missouri, and this song was written and originally recorded in that city. 
In fact, this song was the first hit song to come out of that city. But let me introduce you to this band that originated from St. Louis, Bob Cuban and the Inmen. The group originally consisted of Bob Cuban on drums, Walter Scott on lead vocals, Greg Holtzel on keys, John Krensky on bass, Pat Hickson on trumpet, Harry Simon on sax, Skip Wiseman on trombone, and Roy Schultz on guitar. The band formed in St. Louis in 1964 as a Rhythm Masters, and they released a series of singles under that name under a label called Norman Records, but things didn't really start to pick up speed for them until they switched to the Music Man USA label in 1965, and they changed their name to Bob Cuban and the Inmen. And by the way, their name was a reference to what was in at the time, aka what was popular and trendy at the time. And it was in October of 1965 that the band's bass player came up with what would be the band's first hit song. And by the way, his name was John Krensky. The song was originally told from the cheater's point of view. Look out for me, I'm a cheater. But Bob Cuban decided to change it to being sung to third person because he thought the song sounded better that way versus first person. Uh, they recorded the song in Technixonic Studios in St. Louis, Missouri, and released it in the end of November, beginning of December 1965, and it made it to the top 10 in, on several different local St. Louis AM radio stations. But it started its journey on the Billboard Hot 100 charts in Christmas Day of 1965, and it's ended its chart journey, peaking at number 12 on March of 1966, specifically March 12th. Now, the reason as to why I think this band was a one-hit wonder was because at the time, the Vietnam War was going on, and the draft was picking up any young working-class men that were not currently in school but were working and were fit and well enough to serve in the armed forces and let me put it to you this way every single member of this band was basically draft bait meaning that anyone any one of them at any given time could get drafted and sent to vietnam but really at the time they were all going to school or working in a school environment and any young man that was in school would immediately be considered ineligible for the draft. They could basically avoid being drafted if they stayed in school. But if they all decided to quit going to school and go on an international tour outside of the country, specifically the U.S., they would immediately no longer be considered ineligible for the draft, and they would be uh, dra uh, classified as 1A, and then their asses would immediately be sent to Vietnam. And this leads me to talk about why the band fell apart. You see... When the band had the, that first hit on their, on their hands, they did a national tour and play with the Turtles in San Francisco. And they played with Otis Redding in LA at the Whiskey Go-Go. And they also appeared on various different TV shows in LA, such as Where the Accent Is and American Bandstand. But their big hit at the time, called The Cheater, also hit number one in Australia. And they actually got offered a tour in Australia, but absolutely nobody in the band would do it because they all knew 
that if they went to Australia, they would all be sent to Vietnam. And when there are follow-up singles after the cheater bombed, including the teaser, and Bob and Bob Cubron record has stated that he hated that song, that prompted the rest of the band to break up while everyone went their separate ways as their manager was trying to break the group up and trying to get Walter Scott to start a solo career. Now, before I end this podcast, I wanted to say one more thing about this song. And that is that this song had a very dark but real ironic twist to it. You see, in the 80s, years after the song was a hit, Walter Scott, the lead singer of this song, was being cheated on by his wife. And his wife and the guy she was cheating on Walter with murdered him. And, and her and her boyfriend were later found guilty of that and served two life sentences in prison for that. Now, Bob Cuban still actively performs to this day with his band, but, you know, the original group of Bob Cuban, the Endmen, has, hasn't been together for years. So that concludes episode 32 of my podcast, The Millennial Throwback Machine. I'm Sam Williams, and if you liked my analysis on this week's song and you learned some really interesting and fascinating facts about this song that you've never learned before and you uh, got turned on to a brand new song to you that you have never heard before, um, you can email me at samltwilly at icloud.com. You can also follow me on Instagram at iheartoldies and check out more of my original music at samwilliamsmusic.net. Um, coming up, for next year's episode of my podcast starting next year, um, I'm going to have another special guest on. Uh, like I said before, he is not from that era specifically, but he's around my age and he loves this music just as much as I do. So once I have him on the show, I'll, it'll be a really good conversation about this really good classic music and then towards the end of the show i'll have him do a little promo of what he's got going on with his music in terms of uh what kind of uh when he's gonna put out some new music and when uh and where are his upcoming shows that will happen towards the end um I'll let you know when he is officially on the show. I won't put out the episode until after the first of the new year, but um just but please keep on the lookout for that. But other than that, I'll let you know when I get another interview book from someone who actually was from that era onto my show. I'll let you know that. Um but anyways I'm Sam Williams, and thank you for joining me for this week's episode of the podcast, Millennial Throwback Machine. Until next week, police, keep things groovy. Groovy.